Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Act 3 of Henry the Fourth, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One, by William Shakespeare. Act Three. Scene One, Bangor, the Archdeacon's house. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Mortimer, and Glendower. These promises are fair, the parties sure, and our induction full of prosperous hope. Lord Mortimer and cousin Glendower, will you sit down? And Uncle Worcester. Oh, plague upon it! I forgot the map. No, here it is. Sit, cousin Percy. Sit, good cousin Hotspur. For by that name, as oft as Lancaster doth speak of you, his cheek looks pale, and with a rising sigh he wisheth you in heaven. And you in hell, as oft as he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. I cannot blame him. At my nativity, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes, of burning cressets and at my birth the frame and huge foundation of the earth shakes like a coward. Why, so it would have been done at the same season, if your mother's cat had but kittened, though yourself had never been born. I say the earth did shake when I was born. And I say the earth was not of my mind, if you suppose as fearing you it shook. The heavens were all on fire, the earth did tremble. Well, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire, and not in fear of your nativity. Diseased nature oftentimes breaks forth in strange eruptions, off the teeming earth, as with a kind of colic pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of unruly wind within her womb, which for enlargement striving shakes the old beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. At your birth our grandam earth, having this distemperature, in passion shook. Cousin, of many men I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again that at my birth the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frighted fields. These signs have marked me extraordinary, and all the courses of my life do show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living, clipped in with the sea, that chides the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which calls me pupil, or hath read to me? and bring him out that is but woman's son can trace me in the tedious ways of arts, and hold me pace in deep experiments. I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. I'll to dinner. Peace, cousin Percy. You will make him mad. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Why, so can I, or so can any man. But will they come when you do call for them? Why, I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. And I can teach thee, cuz, to shame the devil, by telling truth. Tell truth and shame the devil. If thou have power to raise him, bring him hither, and I'll be sworn I have power to shame him hence. Oh, while you live, tell truth and shame the devil. Come, come, no more of this unprofitable chat. 
Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made head against my power. Thrice from the banks of Wye and sandy-bottomed Severn have I sent him bootless home and weather-beaten back. Home without boots, and in foul weather, too. How scapes he agues in the devil's name? Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold order taken? The archdeacon hath divided it into three limits very equally. England, from Trent and Severn hitherto, by south and east is to my part assigned. All westward Wales beyond the Severn shore, and all the fertile land within that bound to Owen Glendower. And, dear cuz, to you the remnant northward, lying off from Trent, and our indentures tripartite are drawn, which being sealed interchangeably, a business that this night may execute. To-morrow, Cousin Percy, you and I and my good Lord of Worcester will set forth to meet your father and the Scottish power, as is appointed us, at Shrewsbury. My father Glendower is not ready yet. Not shall we need his help these fourteen days. Within that space you may have drawn together your tenants, friends, and neighboring gentlemen. A shorter time shall send me to you, lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you now must steal and take no leave, for there will be a world of water shed upon the parting of your wives and you. Methinks my moiety north from Burton here, and quantity equals not one of yours. See how this river comes me cranking in and cuts me from the best of all my land a huge half-moon, a monstrous cantle-out. I'll have the current in this place dammed up, and here the smug and silver trench shall run in a new channel, fair and evenly. It shall not wind with such deep indent to rob me of so rich a bottom here. Not wind! It shall! It must! You see it doth! Yea, but mark how he bears his course and runs me up, with like advantage on the other side, gelding the opposed continent as much as on the other side it takes from you. Yea, but a little charge will trench him here, and on this north side win this cape of land, and then he runs straight and even. I'll have it so. A little charge will do it. I'll not have it altered. Will not you? No, nor shall you not. Who shall say me nay? Why, that will I. Well, let me not understand you, then. Speak it in Welsh. I can speak English, Lord, as well as you. For I was trained up in the English court, where, being but young, I framed to the harp many an English ditty lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament, a virtue that was never seen in you. Mary, and I am glad of it with all my heart. I had rather be a kitten and cry mew than one of these same meter ballad-mongers. I had rather hear a brazen can-stick turned or a dry wheel grate on the axle-tree and that would set my teeth nothing on edge, nothing so much as mincing poetry. Tis like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Come, you shall have Trent turned. I do not care. I'll give thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark ye me, I'll cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? The moon shines fair. You may away by night. I'll haste the rider, and withal break with your wives of your departure hence. I am afraid my daughter will run mad, so much she doteth on her Mortimer. Exit Glendower. Fie, cousin Percy, how you cross my father! I cannot choose. Sometimes he angers me with telling me of the mold-warp and the ant, of the dreamer Merlin and his prophecies, and of a dragon and a finless fish, 
a clip-winged griffin and a molten raven, a couching lion and a ramping cat, and such a deal of skimble-scamble stuff as puts me from my faith. I tell you what, he held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's names that were his lackeys. I cried, Hum, and, well, go to, but marked him not a word. Oh, he is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife, worse than a smoky house. I'd rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill far than feed on Kate's and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. In faith he is a worthy gentleman, exceedingly well-read and profited in strange concealments, valiant as a lion and as wondrous affable and as bountiful as mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin, he holds your temper in a high respect and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come cross his humor, faith he does. I warrant you that man is not alive might so have tempted him as you have done without the taste of danger and reproof. But do not use it oft, let me entreat you. In faith, my lord, you are too willful blame, and since your coming hither have done enough to put him quite besides his patience. You must needs learn, lord, to amend this fault, though sometimes it show greatness, courage, blood, and that's the dearest grace it renders you, yet oftentimes it doth present harsh rage, defect of manners, want of government, pride, haughtiness, opinion, and disdain, the least of which, haunting a nobleman, loseth men's hearts, and leaves behind a stain upon the beauty of all parts besides, beguiling them of commendation. Well, I am schooled. Good manners be your speed. Here come our wives, and let us take our leave. Re-enter Glendower with the ladies. This is the deadly spite that angers me. My wife can speak no English, I no Welsh. My daughter weeps. She will not part with you. She'll be a soldier too. She'll to the wars. Good father, tell her that she and my Aunt Percy shall follow in your conduct speedily. Glendower speaks to her in Welsh, and she answers him in the same. She is desperate here, a peevish self-wind harlotry, one that no persuasion can do good upon. The lady speaks in Welsh. I understand thy looks, that pretty Welsh which thou pourst down from these swelling heavens, I am too perfect in, and, but for shame, in such a parley should I answer thee. The lady speaks again in Welsh. I understand thy kisses, and thou mine, and that's a feeling disputation. But I will never be a truant, love, till I have learned thy language, for thy tongue makes Welsh as sweet as ditties highly penned, sung by a fair queen in a summer's bower, with ravishing division to her lute. Nay, if you melt, then will she run mad. The lady speaks again in Welsh. Oh, I am ignorance itself in this. She bids you on the wanton rushes lay you down, and rest your gentle head upon her lap, and she will sing the song that pleaseth you, and on your eyelids crown the god of sleep, charming your blood with pleasing heaviness, making such difference twixt wake and sleep as is the difference betwixt day and night the hour before the heavenly harnessed team begins his golden progress in the east with all my heart i'll sit and hear her sing by that time will our book i think be drawn do so and those musicians that shall play to you hang in the air a thousand leagues from hence and straight they shall be here sit and attend 
Come, Kate, thou art perfect in lying down. Come, quick, quick, that I may lay my head in thy lap. Go, ye giddy goose. The music plays. Now I perceive the devil understands Welsh, and tis no marvel he is so humorous. By a lady he is a good musician. Then should you be nothing but musical, for you are altogether governed by humours. Lie still, ye thief, and hear the lady sing in Welsh. I had rather hear, lady, my brack howl in Irish. Wouldst thou have thy head broken? No. Then be still. Neither. Tis a woman's fault. Now God help thee. To the Welsh lady's bed. What's that? Ah, peace, she sings. Here the lady sings a Welsh song. Come, Kate, I'll have your song, too. Not mine, in good sooth. Not yours, in good sooth. Heart, you swear like a comfort-maker's wife. Not you, in good sooth. And as true as I live, and as God shall mend me, and uh, as, as sure as day, and give us such sarsenet surety for thy oaths as if you never walked further than Finsbury, Swear me, Kate, like a lady as thou art, a good mouth-filling oath, and leave in sooth, and such protest of pepper-gingerbread to velvet guards and Sunday citizens. Come, sing. I will not sing. Tis the next way to turn tailor, or be red-breast teacher, and the indentures be drawn all away within these two hours. And so, come in when ye will. Exit. Come, come, Lord Mortimer. You are as slow as hot Lord Percy is on fire to go. By this our book is drawn. We'll but seal, and then to horse immediately. With all my heart. Exeunt. Scene two. London, the palace. Enter King Henry the Fourth, Prince Henry, and others. Lords, give us leave. The Prince of Wales and I must have some private conference. But be near at hand, for we shall presently have need of you. Exeunt lords. I know not whether God will have it so, for some displeasing service I have done, that in his secret doom out of my blood he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost in thy passages of life make me believe that thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreadings. Tell me else. Could such inordinate and low desires, such poor, such bare, such lewd, such mean attempts, such barren pleasures, rude society, as thou art matched withal and grafted to, accompany the greatness of thy blood, and hold their level with thy princely heart? So please, your majesty, I would I could quit all offences, with this clear excuse, as well I am doubtless I can purge myself, of many I am charged withal. Yet such extenuation let me beg, as, in reproof of many tales devised, which oft the ear of greatness needs must hear by smiling pick-thanks and base newsmongers, I may for some things true wherein my youth hath faulty wandered and irregular, Find pardon on my true submission. God pardon thee. Yet let me wonder, Harry, at thy affections, which do hold a wing quite from the flight of all thy ancestors. Thy place and counsel thou hast rudely lost, which by thy younger brother is supplied, 
and art almost an alien to the hearts of all the court and princes of my blood, the hope and expectation of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forethink thy fall. Had I so lavish of my presence been, so common hackneyed in the eyes of men, so stale and cheap to vulgar company, opinion, that did help me to the crown, had still kept loyal to possession, and left me in reputeless banishment, a fellow of no mark nor likelihood. By being seldom seen, I could not stir, but like a comet I was wondered at, that men would tell their children, This is he. Others would say, Where? Where is Bolingbroke? And then I stole all courtesy from heaven, and dressed myself in such humility, that I did pluck allegiance from men's hearts, loud shouts and salutations from their mouths, even in the presence of the crowned king. Thus did I keep my person fresh and new, my presence like a robe pontifical, ne'er seen but wondered at, and so my state, seldom but sumptuous, showed like a feast and won by rareness such solemnity. The skipping king, he ambled up and down with shallow gestures and rash bavinwits, soon kindled and soon burnt, carded his state, mingled his royalty with capering fools, had his great name profaned with their scorns, and gave his countenance, against his name, to laugh at jibing boys and stand the push of every beardless vain comparative, grew a companion to the common streets enfeoffed himself to popularity, that, being daily swallowed by men's eyes, they surfeited with honey, and began to loathe the taste of sweetness, whereof a little more than a little is by much too much. So when he had occasion to be seen, he was but as the cuckoo is in June, heard, not regarded, seen, but with such eyes as, sick and blunted with community, afford no extraordinary gaze, such as is bent on sun-like majesty when it shines seldom in admiring eyes, but rather drowsed and hung their eyelids down, slept in his face, and rendered such aspect as cloudy men use to their adversaries, being with his presence glutted, gorged, and full. And in that very line, Harry, standest thou, for thou hast lost thy princely privilege with vile participation. Not an eye but is a-weary of thy common sight, save mine, which hath desired to see thee more, but which now that I would not have it do, make blind itself with foolish tenderness. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious lord, be more myself. For all the world, as thou art to this hour was Richard then, when I from France set foot at Ravensburg, and even as I was then is Percy now. Now, by my sceptre, and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest to the state, than thou the shadow of succession. For of no right, nor colour like to right, he doth fill fields with harness in the realm, turns head against the lion's armoured jaws, and, being no more in debt to years than thou, leads ancient lords and reverend bishops on to bloody battles and to bruising arms. What never-dying honour hath he got against renowned Douglas, whose high deeds, 
whose hot incursions and great name in arms holds from all soldiers chief majority and military title capital through all the kingdoms that acknowledge christ thrice has this hotspur mars in swaddling clothes this infant warrior in his enterprises discomfited great douglas taken him once enlarged him and made a friend of him to fill the mouth of deep defiance up and shake the peace and safety of our throne what say you to this percy northumberland the archbishop's grace of york douglas mortimer capitulate against us and are up but wherefore do i tell these news to thee why harry do i tell thee of my foes which art my nearest and dearest enemy thou that art like enough through vassal fear base inclination and the start of spleen to fight against me under percy's pay to dog his heels and curtsy at his frowns to show how much thou art degenerate do not think so you shall not find it so and god forgive him that so much have swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me i will redeem all this on percy's head and in the closing of some glorious day be bold to tell you that i am your son when i will wear a garment all of blood and stain my favors in a bloody mask which washed away shall scour my shame with it and that shall be the day when ere it lights that this shame same child of honor and renown this gallant hotspur this all-praised knight and your unthought of harry chance to meet for every honor sitting on his helm would they were multitudes and on my head my shames were doubled for the time will come that i shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities percy is but my factor good my lord to engross up glorious deeds on my behalf and i will call him to so strict account that he shall render every glory up yea even the slightest worship of his time or I will tear the reckoning from his heart. This in the name of God I promise here, the which, if he be pleased, I shall perform. I do beseech your majesty may salve the long-grown wounds of my intemperance. If not, the end of life cancels all bands, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths ere I break the smallest parcel of this vow a hundred thousand rebels die in this thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein enter blunt how now good blunt thy looks are full of speed <sighs> so hath the business that i come to speak of lord mortimer of scotland hath sent word that douglas and the english rebels met the eleventh of this month at shrewsbury a mighty and a fearful head they are if promises be kept on every hand as ever offered foul play in the state the Earl of Westmoreland set forth to-day, with him my son, Lord John of Lancaster, for this advertisement is five days old. On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday we ourselves will march. Our meeting is Bridge North, and, Harry, you shall march through Gloucestershire, 
by which account our business valued some twelve days hence our general forces at bridge north shall meet our hands are full of business let's away advantage feeds him fat while men delay Exeunt. scene three eastcheap the boar's head tavern enter falstaff and bardolph Bardolph, am I not fallen away vilely since this last action? Do I not bait? Do I not dwindle? Why, my skin hangs about me like an old lady's loose gown. I am withered like an old apple john. Well, I'll repent, and that suddenly. While I am in some liking, I, I shall be out of heart shortly, and then I shall have no strength to repent. And I have not forgotten what the inside of a church is made of. I am a peppercorner, a brewer's horse. The inside of a church. Company, villainous company, hath been the spoil of me. Sir John, you are so fretful, you cannot live long. Why, there is it. Come sing me a bawdy song. Make me merry. I was as virtuously given as a gentleman need to be virtuous enough swore little diced not above seven times a week went to a bawdy house once in a quarter of an hour paid money that i borrowed three or four times lived well and in good compass and now i live out of all order out of all compass why you are so fat sir john that you must needs be out of all compass, out of all reasonable compass, Sir John. Do thou amend thy face, and I'll amend my life. Thou art our admiral. Thou bearest the lantern in the poop, but tis in the nose of thee. Thou art the knight of the burning lamp. Why, Sir John, my face does you no harm? <laughs> no, I'll be sworn. I make as good use of it as many a man doth of a death's head or a memento mori. I never see thy face, but I think upon hell-fire and dives that lived in purple, for there he is in his robes, burning, burning. If thou wert any way given to virtue, I would swear by thy face. My oath should be, by this fire, that's God's angel." but thou art altogether given over and wert indeed but for the light in thy face the sun of utter darkness when thou rannest up gadsill in the night to catch my horse if i did not think thou hadst been an ignis fatuus or a ball of wildfire there's no purchase in money oh thou art a perpetual triumph an everlasting bonfire light thou hast saved me a thousand marks and links and torches walking with thee in the night betwixt tavern and tavern but the sack that thou hast drunk me would have bought me lights as good cheap at the dearest chandlers in europe i have maintained that salamander of yours with fire any time this two-and-thirty years god reward me for it Spud, i would my face were in your belly god a mercy so should i be sure to be heartburned Enter hostess. How now? Dame Partlet the hen, have you inquired yet who picked my pocket? Why, Sir John, what do you think, Sir John? Do you think I keep thieves in my house? I have searched, I have inquired, so has my husband. Man by man, boy by boy, servant by servant, the tithe of a hare was never lost in my house before. Ye lie, hostess. 
Bardolph was shaved and lost many a hair, and I'll be sworn my pocket was picked. Go to, you are a woman, go. Who, I? No, I defy thee. God's light, I was never called so in mine own house before. Go to, I know you well enough. No, Sir John, you did not know me, Sir John. I know you, Sir John. You owe me money, Sir John, and now you pick a quarrel to beguile me out of it. I bought you a dozen shirts to your back. Dowless, filthy dowless. I have given them away to bakers' wives, and they have made bolters of them. Now, as I am a true woman, Holland of eight shillings an ell, you owe money here besides, Sir John, for your diet and by-drinkings, and money lent you four and twenty pound. He had his part of it. Let him pay. He? Alas, he is poor. He hath nothing. How? Poor? Look upon his face. What call you rich? Let them coin his nose. Let them coin his cheeks. I'll not pay a denier. What? Will you make a yonker of me? Shall I not take mine case in mine inn, but I shall have my pocket picked? I have lost a seal-ring of my grandfather's worth forty mark. Oh, Jesu, I have heard the prince tell him I know not how oft. That ring was copper. How? The prince is a jack, a sneak-cup. Splud, and he were here. I would cudgel him like a dog, if he would say so. Enter Prince Henry and Peto, marching, and Falstaff meets them, playing on his truncheon like a fife. How now, lad? Is the wind in that door a faith? Must we all march? Yea, two and two, Newgate fashion. My lord, I pray you, hear me. What sayest thou, mistress, quickly? How doth thy husband? I love him well. He is an honest man. Good my lord, hear me. Prithee, let her alone and list to me. What sayest? Thou, Jack. The other night I fell asleep here behind the arras, and had my pocket picked. This house is turned body house. They pick pockets. What didst thou lose, Jack? Wilt thou believe me, Hal? Three or four bonds of forty pound apiece, and a seal ring of my grandfather's. A trifle, some eight penny matter. So I told him, my lord, and I said I heard your grace say so. And my lord, he speaks most vilely of you, like a foul-mouthed man as he is, and said he would cudgel you. What? He did not. There's neither faith, truth, nor womanhood in me else. There's no more faith in thee than in a steward prune, nor no more truth in thee than in a drawn fox. And for womanhood, Maid Marian may be the deputy's wife of the ward to thee. Go, you thing, go. Say, what thing, what thing? What thing? Why, a thing to thank God on. I am no thing to thank God on, I would thou shouldst know it. I am an honest man's wife, and setting thy knighthood aside, thou art a knave to call me so. Setting thy womanhood aside, thou art a beast to say otherwise. Say, what beast, thou knave, thou? What beast? Why, an otter. An otter, Sir John? Why an otter? Why, she's neither fish nor flesh. A man knows not where to have her. Thou art an unjust man in saying so. Thou or any man knows where to have me, thou knave, thou. Thou sayest true, hostess, and he slanders thee most grossly. So he doth you, my lord, and said this other day you ought him a thousand pound. Sirrah, do I owe you a thousand pound? <laughs> a thousand pound? Ah, a million! Thy love is worth a million. Thou owest me thy love. Nay, my lord, he called you Jack, and said he would cudgel you. Did I, Bardolph? Indeed, Sir John, you said so. Yea, if he said my ring was copper. 
I say tis copper. Darest thou be as good as thy word now? Why, how? Thou knowest as thou art but man, I dare. But as thou art prince, I fear thee as I fear the roaring of a lion's whelp. And why not as the lion? The king is to be feared as the lion. Dost thou think I'll fear thee as I fear thy father? Nay, and I do, I pray God my good'll break. Oh, if it should, how would thy guts fall about thy knees? But, sirrah, there's no room for faith, truth, nor honesty in this bosom of thine. It is all filled up with guts and midriff. Charge an honest woman with picking thy pocket? Why, thou whoreson, impudent, embossed rascal, if there were anything in thy pocket but tavern reckonings, memorandums of body-houses, and one poor pennyworth of sugar candy to make thee long-winded, if thy pocket were enriched with any other injuries but these, I am a villain. And yet you will stand to it. You will not pocket up wrong. Art thou not ashamed? Dost thou hear how? Thou knowest in the state of innocency Adam fell, and what should poor Jack Falstaff do in the days of villainy? Thou seest I have more flesh than another man, and therefore more frailty. You confess, then? You picked my pocket? It appears so by the story. Hostess, I forgive thee. Go, make ready breakfast. Love thy husband, look to thy servants, cherish thy guests. Thou shalt find me tractable to any honest reason. Thou seest I am pacified still. Nay, prithee, be gone. Exit hostess. Now, Hal, to the news at court. For the robbery, lad, how is that answered? Oh, my sweet beef, I must still be good angel to thee. The money is paid back again. Oh, I do not like that paying back. Tis a double labor. I am good friends with my father, and may do anything. Rob me the exchequer the first thing thou doest, and do it with unwashed hands, too. Do, my lord? I have procured thee, Jack, a charge of foot. I would it had been of horse. Where shall I find one that can steal well? Oh, for a fine thief of the age of two and twenty or thereabouts! I am heinously unprovided. Well, God be thanked for these rebels. They offend none but the virtuous. I laud them. I praise them. Bardolph? My lord? Go bear this letter to Lord John of Lancaster, to my brother John. This to my lord of Westmoreland. Exit Bardolph. Go, Pito, to horse to horse. For thou and I have thirty miles to ride, yet, ere dinner time. Exit Pito. Jack? Meet me tomorrow in the temple hall at two o'clock in the afternoon. There thou shalt know thy charge, and there receive money and order for their furniture. The land is burning. Percy stands on high. And either they or we must lower lie. Exit Prince Henry. Rare words, brave world. Hostess, my breakfast, come. Oh, I could wish this tavern were my drum. Exit. End of Act Three.
Act Four of Henry the Fourth, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One by William Shakespeare. Act Four. Scene One: The Rebel Camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, and Douglas. Well said, my noble Scot. If speaking truth in this fine age were not thought flattery, such attribution should the Douglas have, as not a soldier of this season's stamp should go so general current through the world. Ah, by God, I cannot flatter. I do defy the tongues of soothers, but a braver place in my heart's love hath no man than yourself. Nay, task me to my word, prove me, Lord. Thou art the king of honour. No man so potent breathes upon the ground, but I will beard him. Do so, and tis well. Enter a messenger with letters. What letters hast thou there? I can but thank you. These letters come from your father. Letters from him? Why comes he not himself? He cannot come, my lord. He is grievous sick. Sounds. How is he the leisure to be sick in such a rustling time? Who leads his power? Under whose government come they along? His letters bear his mind, not I, my lord. I prithee tell me, does he keep his bed? He did, my lord, four days ere I set forth, and at the time of my departure thence he was much feared by his physicians. I would the state of time had first been whole ere he by sickness had been visited. His health was never better worth than now. Sick now? Troop now? This sickness doth infect the very life-blood of our enterprise. Tis catching hither, even to our camp. He writes me here, that inward sickness, and that his friends by deputation could not so soon be drawn, nor did he think it meet to lay so dangerous and dear a trust on any soul removed but on his own. Yet doth he give us bold advertisement, that with our small conjunction we should on to see how fortune is disposed to us. For, as he writes, there is no quailing now, because the king is certainly possessed of all our purposes. What say you to it? Your father's sickness is a maim to us. A perilous gash, a very limb lopped off. And yet, in faith, it is not. His present want seems more than we shall find it. Were it good to set the exact wealth of all our states all at one cast? to set so rich a main on the nice hazard of one doubtful hour? It were not good, for therein should we read the very bottom and the soul of hope, the very list, the very utmost bound of all our fortunes. Faith, and so we should, where now remains a sweet reversion, we may boldly spend upon the hope of what is to come in. A comfort of retirement lives in this. A rendezvous, a home to fly unto, if that the devil and mischance look big upon the maidenhead of our affairs. But yet I would your father had been here. The quality and hair of our attempt brooks no division. It will be thought by some that know not why he's away, that wisdom, loyalty, or mere dislike of our proceedings kept the earl from hence. And think how such an apprehension may turn the tide of fearful faction, and breed a kind of question in our cause. For, well you know, we of the offering side must keep aloof from strict arbitrament, and stop all sight-holes, every loop from whence the eye of reason may pry in upon us. 
this absence of your father's draws a curtain that shows the ignorant a kind of fear before not dreamt of. You strain too far. I rather of his absence make this use. It lends a luster and more great opinion, a larger dare to our great enterprise than if the earl were here. For men must think, if we without his help can make a head to push against a kingdom, with his help we shall o'erturn it topsy-turvy down. Yet all goes well, yet all our joints are whole. As heart can think, there is not such a word spoke of in Scotland as this term of fear. Enter Sir Richard Vernon. My cousin Vernon, welcome by my soul. Pray God my news be worth a welcome, Lord. The Earl of Westmoreland, seven thousand strong, is marching hitherwards, with him Prince John. No harm. What more? And further I have learned the king himself in person is set forth, or hitherwards intended speedily, with strong and mighty preparation. He shall be welcome too. Where is his son, that nimble-footed madcap Prince of Wales, and his comrades, that daft the world aside and bid it pass? All furnished, all in arms, all plumed like estridges that with the wind baited like eagles having lately bathed, glittering in golden coats like images, as full of spirit as the month of May, and gorgeous as the sun at midsummer, wanton as youthful goats, wild as young bulls, I saw young Harry with his beaver on, his cusses on his thighs, gallantly armed, rise from the ground like a feathered mercury, and vaulted with such ease into his seat, as if an angel dropped down from the clouds, to turn and win a fiery pegasus, and witch the world with noble horsemanship. No more, no more, worse than the sun in March this praise doth nourish agues. Let them come, they come like sacrifices in their trim. And to the fire-eyed maid of smoky war, all hot and bleeding, will we offer them. The mailed Mars shall on his altar sit up to the ears in blood. I am on fire to hear this rich reprisal is so nigh, and yet not ours. Come, let me taste my horse, who is to bear me like a thunderbolt against the bosom of the Prince of Wales. Harry to Harry shall, hot horse to horse, meet and never part till one drop down a course. Oh, that Glendower were come! There is more news. I learned in Worcester, as I rode along, he cannot draw his power this fourteen days. That's the worst tidings that I hear of yet. Ay, by my faith, that bears a frosty sound. What may the king's whole battle reach unto? To thirty thousand. Ah, forty let it be. My father and Glendower being both away, the powers of us may serve so great a day. Come, let us take a muster speedily. Doomsday is near. Die all, die merrily. Talk not of dying. I am out of fear of death or death's hand for this one half year. Exeunt. Scene two. A public road near Coventry. Enter Falstaff and Bardolph. Bardolph, get thee before to Coventry. Fill me a bottle of sack. Our soldiers shall march through. We'll to Sutton Cofield tonight. Will you give me money, Captain? Lay out, lay out. This bottle makes an angel. And if it do, take it for thy labour. And if it make twenty, take them all. I'll answer the coinage. Bid my lieutenant Pito meet me at Town's End. I will, Captain. Farewell. Exit. If I be not ashamed of my soldiers, I am a soused garnet. I have misused the king's press damnably. I have got, 
in exchange of a hundred and fifty soldiers, three hundred and odd pounds. I press me none but good householders, yeomen's sons. Inquire me out contracted bachelors, such as had been asked twice on the bands. Such a commodity of warm slaves as had as leave hear the devil as a drum. Such as fear the report of a caliver worse than a struck fowl or a hurt wild duck. I pressed me none but such toasts and butter, with hearts in their bellies no bigger than pins' heads, and they have bought out their services. And now my whole charge consists of ancients, corporals, lieutenants, gentlemen of companies, slaves as ragged as Lazarus in the painted cloth, where the glutton's dogs licked his sores, and such as indeed were never soldiers, but discarded unjust serving men, younger sons to younger brothers, revolted tapsters and ostlers trade-fallen, the cankers of a calm world and a long peace, ten times more dishonourable ragged than an old-faced ancient, and such have I, to fill up the rooms of them that have bought out their services, that you would think that I had a hundred and fifty tattered prodigals lately come from swine-keeping, from eating draught and husks. A mad fellow met me on the way and told me I had unloaded all the gibbets and pressed the dead bodies. No high have seen such scarecrows. I'll not march through Coventry with them, that's flat. Nay, and the villains march wide betwixt the legs, as if they had jives on, for indeed I had the most of them out of prison. There's but a shirt and a half in all my company, and the half-shirt is two napkins tacked together, and thrown over the shoulders, like an herald's coat without sleeves, and the shirt to say the truth, stolen from my host at St. Albans, or the red-nosed innkeeper of Daventry. But that's all one, and they'll find linen enough on every hedge. Enter the Prince and Westmoreland. How now, blown Jack? How now, Quilt? What how? How now, Madwag? What a devil dost thou in Warwickshire? My good lord of Westmoreland, I cry you mercy. I thought your honour had already been at Shrewsbury. Faith, Sir John, tis more than time that I were there, and you too, but my powers are there already. The king, I can tell you, looks for us all. We must away all night. Tut, never fear me. I am as vigilant as a cat to steal cream. I think to steal cream indeed, for thy theft hath already made thee butter. But tell me, Jack, Whose fellows are these that come after? Mine, Hal, mine. I did never see such pitiful rascals. Tut, tut, good enough to toss. Food for powder, food for powder. They'll fill a pit as well as better. Tush, man, mortal men, mortal men. Ay, but, Sir John, methinks they are exceedingly poor, and bare, too beggarly. Faith, for their poverty, I know not where they had that, and for their bareness, I am sure they never learned that of me. No, I'll be sworn, unless you call three fingers on the ribs bare. But, sirrah, make haste. Percy is already in the field. What? Is the king encamped? He is, Sir John. I fear we shall stay too long. Well, to the latter end of a fray and the beginning of a feast, it's a dull fighter and a keen guest. 
Exunt. Scene three. The rebel camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Douglas, and Vernon. We'll fight with him tonight. It may not be. You give him, then, the advantage. Not a whit. Why say you so? Looks he not for supply? So do we. His is certain, ours is doubtful. Good cousin, be advised, stir not to-night. Do not, my lord. You do not counsel well. You speak it out of fear and cold heart. Do me no slander, Douglas, by my life. And I dare well maintain it with my life. If well-respected honour bid me on, I hold as little counsel with weak fear. As you, my lord, or any Scot that this day lives, let it be seen to-morrow in the battle which of us fears. Yea, or to-night. Content. To-night, say I. Come, come, it may not be. I wonder much, being men of such great leading as you are, that you foresee not what impediments drag back our expedition. Certain horse of my cousin Vernon's are not yet come up. Your uncle Worcester's horse only came but to-day, and now their pride and mettle is asleep, their courage with hard labour tame and dull, that not a horse is half the half of himself. So are the horses of the enemy, in general, journey baited and brought low. The better part of ours are full of rest. The number of the king exceedeth ours. For God's sake, cousins, stay till all come in. The trumpet sounds a parley. Enter Sir Walter Blunt. I come with gracious offers from the king, if you vouchsafe me hearing and respect. Welcome, Sir Walter Blunt, and would to God you were of our determination. Some of us love you well, and even those some envy your great deservings and good name, because you are not of our quality, but stand against us like an enemy. And God defend but still I should stand so, so long as out of limit and true rule you stand against anointed majesty. But to my charge, the king hath sent to know the nature of your griefs, and whereupon you conjure from the breast of civil peace such bold hostility, teaching as duteous land audacious cruelty. If that the king have any way your good deserts forgot, which he confesseth to be manifold, he bids you name your griefs, and with all speed you shall have your desires with interest, and pardon absolute for yourself and these herein misled by your suggestion. The king is kind, and well we know the king knows at what time to promise, when to pay. My father and my uncle and myself did give him that same royalty he wears, and when he was not six-and-twenty strong, sick in the world's regard, wretched and low, the poor unminded outlaw sneaking home, my father gave him welcome to the shore, and when he heard him swear and vow to God he came but to be Duke of Lancaster, to sue his livery and beg his peace, tears of innocency and terms of zeal, my father, in kind heart and pity moved, swore him assistance, and performed it too. Now when the lords and barons of the realm perceived Northumberland did lean to him, the more and less came in with cap and knee, met him in boroughs, cities, villages, attended him on bridges, stood in lanes, laid gifts before him, proffered him their oaths, gave him their heirs, as pages followed him, even at the heels in golden multitudes. He presently, as greatness knows itself, steps me a little higher than his vow made to my father, while his blood was poor, upon the naked shore at Ravenspurg. 
and now forsooth takes on him to reform some certain edicts and some straight decrees that lie too heavy on the commonwealth cries out upon abuses seems to weep over his country's wrongs and by this face this seeming brow of justice did he win the hearts of all that he did angle for proceeded further cut me off the heads of all the favourites that the absent king in deputation left behind him here when he was personal in the irish war tut i came not to hear this then to the point in short time after he deposed the king soon after that deprived him of his life and in the neck of that tasked the whole state to make that worse suffered his kinsman march who is if every owner were well placed indeed his king to be engaged in wales there without ransom to lie forfeited disgraced me in my happy victories sought to entrap me by intelligence raided mine uncle from the council board in rage dismissed my father from the court broke oath on oath committed wrong on wrong and in conclusion drove us to seek out this head of safety and withal to pry into his title the which we find too indirect for long continuance shall i return this answer to the king not so sir walter we'll withdraw a while go to the king and let there be impawn some surety for a safe return again and in the morning early shall my uncle bring him our purposes and so farewell i would you would accept of grace and love and maybe so we shall pray god you do exeunt scene four york the archbishop's palace Enter the Archbishop of York and Sir Michael. Hi, good Sir Michael, bear this sealed brief with winged haste to the Lord Marshal, this to my cousin Scroop, and all the rest to whom they are directed. If you knew how much they do to import, you would make haste. My good Lord, I guess their tenor. Like enough you do. Tomorrow, good Sir Michael, is a day wherein the fortune of ten thousand men must bide the touch, for Sir, at Shrewsbury, as I am truly given to understand, the king with mighty and quick-raised power meets with Lord Harry, and I fear, Sir Michael, what with the sickness of Northumberland, whose power was in the first proportion, and what with Owen Glendower's absence thence, who with them was a rated sinew too, and comes not in, or ruled by prophecies, I fear the power of Percy is too weak to wage an instant trial with the king." why my good lord you need not fear there is douglas and lord mortimer no mortimer is not there but there is mordake vernon lord harry percy and there is my lord of worcester and a head of gallant warriors noble gentlemen and so there is but yet the king hath drawn the special head of all the land together the prince of wales lord john of lancaster the noble westmoreland and warlike blunt and more rivals and dear men of estimation and command in arms doubt not my lord they shall be well opposed i hope no less yet needful tis to fear and to prevent the worst sir michael speed for if lord percy thrive not ere the king dismiss his power he means to visit us for he hath heard of our confederacy and tis but wisdom to make strong against him therefore make haste i must go right again to other friends and so farewell sir michael Excellent. End of Act 4
All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One, by William Shakespeare. Act Five, Scene One, King Henry the Fourth's camp near Shrewsbury. Enter King Henry, Prince Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, Earl of Westmoreland, Sir Walter Blunt, and Falstaff. How bloodily the sun begins to peer above yon busky hill! The day looks pale at his distemperature. The southern wind doth play the trumpet to his purposes, and by his hollow whistling in the leaves foretells a tempest and a blustering day. Then with the losers let it sympathize, for nothing can seem foul to those that win. The trumpet sounds. Enter Worcester and Vernon. How now, my lord of Worcester? Tis not well that you and I should meet upon such terms as now we meet. You have deceived our trust, and made us doff our easy robes of peace, to crush our old limbs in ungentle steel. This is not well, my lord, this is not well. What say you to it? Will you again unknit this curlish knot of all abhorred war, and move in that obedient orb again where you did give a fair and natural light, and be no more an exhaled meteor, a prodigy of fear, and a portent of broached mischief to the unborn times? Hear me, my liege. For mine own part I could be well content to entertain the lag-end of life with quiet hours, for I protest I have not sought the day of this dislike. You have not sought it. How comes it, then? Rebellion lay in his way, and he found it. Peace, Chewett, peace. It pleased your majesty to turn your looks of favour from myself and all our house. And yet I must remember you, my lord, we were the first and dearest of your friends. For you my staff of office did I break in Richard's time, and posted day and night to meet you on the way and kiss your hand, when yet you were in place and in account nothing so strong and fortunate as I. It was myself, my brother, and his son that brought you home, and boldly did outdare the dangers of the time. You swore to us, and you did swear that oath at Doncaster, that you did nothing purpose gainst the state, nor claim no further than your new-fallen right, the seat of Gaunt, dukedom of Lancaster. To this we swore our aid, but in short space it rained down fortune showering on your head, and such a flood of greatness fell on you, what with our help, what with the absent king, what with the injuries of a wanton time, the seeming sufferances that you'd borne, and the contrarious winds that held the king so long in his unlucky Irish wars, that all in England did repute him dead. And from this swarm of fair advantages you took occasion to be quickly wooed, to grip the general sway into your hand, forgot your oath to us at Doncaster, and being fed by us, you used us so as that ungentle gull the cuckoo's bird useth the sparrow, did oppress our nest, grew by our feeding to so great a bulk that even our love durst not come near your sight for fear of swallowing. But with nimble wing we were enforced for safety's sake to fly out of your sight, 
and raise this present head whereby we stand opposed, by such means as you yourself have forged against yourself, by unkind usage, dangerous countenance, and violation of all faith and troth sworn to us in your younger enterprise. These things indeed you have articulate, proclaimed at market-crosses, read in churches, to face the garment of rebellion with some fine colour that may please the eye of fickle changelings and poor discontents, which gape and rub the elbow at the news of hurly-burly innovation, and never yet did insurrection want such water-colours to impaint his cause, nor moody beggars starving for a time of pell-mell havoc and confusion. In both our armies there is many a soul shall pay full dearly for this encounter if once they join in trial tell your nephew the prince of wales doth join with all the world in praise of henry percy by my hopes this present enterprise set off his head i do not think a braver gentleman more active valiant or more valiant young more daring or more bold is now alive to grace this latter age with noble deeds for my part I may speak it to my shame, I have a truant been to, tr to chivalry, and so I hear he doth account me too. Yet this before my father's majesty, I am content that he shall take the odds of his great name and estimation and will, to save the blood on either side, try fortune with him in single fight. And, Prince of Wales, so dare we venture thee albeit considerations infinite do make against it. No, good Worcester, no, we love our people well, even those we love that are misled upon your cousin's part. And will they take the offer of our grace? Both he, and they, and you, every man shall be my friend again, and I'll be his. So tell your cousin, and bring me word what he will do. But if he will not yield, Rebuke and dread correction wait on us, and they shall do their office. So be gone. We will not now be troubled with reply. We offer fair. Take it advisedly. Exeunt Worcester and Vernon. It will not be accepted on my life. The Douglas and the Hotspur, both together, are confident against the world in arms. Hence, therefore, every leader to his charge, for on their answer will we set on them, and God befriend us as our cause is just. Exeunt all but Prince Henry and Falstaff. Hal, if thou see me down in the battle and bestride me so, uh, tis a point of friendship. Nothing but a colossus can do thee that friendship. Say thy prayers, and farewell. I would twere bedtime, Hal, and all well. Why, thou owest God a death. Exit Prince Henry. It is not due yet. I would be loath to pay him before his day. What need I be so forward with him that calls not on me? Well, it is no matter. Honour pricks on me. Yea. But how if honour prick me off when I come on? How then? Can honour set to a leg? No. Or an arm? No. 
or take away the grief of a wound? No. Honor hath no skill in surgery, then? No. What is honor? A word. What is in that word, honor? What is that honor? Air. A trim reckoning. Who hath it? He that died a Wednesday. Doth he feel it? No. Doth he hear it? No. Tis insensible, then. Yea, to the dead. But will it not live with the living? No. Why? Detraction will not suffer it. Therefore I'll none of it. Honor is a mere scutcheon. And so ends my catechism. Exit. Scene two. The rebel camp. Enter Worcester and Vernon. Oh, no, my nephew must not know, Sir Richard, the liberal and kind offer of the king. Twere best he did. Then are we all undone. It is not possible, it cannot be, the king should keep his word in loving us. He will suspect us still and find a time to punish this offence in other faults. Supposition all our lives shall be stuck full of eyes, for treason is but trusted like the fox, who, never so tame, so cherished and locked up, will have a wild trick of his ancestors. Look how we can, or sadly or merrily, interpretation will misquote our looks, and we shall feed like oxen at a stall, the better cherished still the nearer death. My nephew's trespass may be well forgot, it hath the excuse of youth and heat of blood, and an adopted name of privilege, a hair-brained hotspur governed by a spleen. All his offences live upon my head and on his father's. We did train him on, and his corruption being tamed from us, we as the spring of all shall pay for all. Therefore, good cousin, let not Harry know in any case the offer of the king. Deliver what you will. I'll say tis so. Here comes your cousin. Enter Hotspur and Douglas. My uncle is returned. Deliver up, my lord of Westmoreland. Uncle, what news? The king will bid you battle presently. Defy him by the lord of Westmoreland. Lord Douglas, go you and tell him so. Marry and shall, and very willingly. Exit. There is no seeming mercy in the king. Did you beg any? God forbid. I told him gently of our grievances, of his oath-breaking, which he mended thus, by now forswearing that he is forsworn. He calls us rebels, traitors, and will scourge with haughty arms this hateful name in us. Re-enter the Earl of Douglas. Arm, gentlemen, to arms, for I have thrown a brave defiance in King Henry's teeth, and Westmoreland that was engaged did bear it, that cannot choose but bring him quickly on. The Prince of Wales stepped forth before the King, and, nephew, challenged you to single fight. Oh, would the quarrel lay upon our heads, and that no man might draw short breath to-day but I and Harry Monmouth? Tell me, tell me, how showed his tasking, seemed it in contempt? No, by my soul, I never in my life did hear a challenge urged more modestly. Unless a brother should a brother dare, 
to gentle exercise and proof of arms he gave you all the duties of a man trimmed up your praises with a princely tongue spoke to your deservings like a chronicle making you ever better than his praise by still dispraising praise valued in you and which became you like a prince indeed he made a blushing sight of himself and child his truant youth with such grace as if he mastered there a double spirit of teaching and learning instantly there did he pause but let me tell the world if he outlive the envy of this day england did never owe so sweet a hope so much misconstrued in his wantonness cousin i think thou art enamoured on his follies never did i hear of any prince so wild a libertine but be he as he will yet once ere night i will embrace him with a soldier's arm that he shall shrink under my courtesy arm arm with speed and fellows soldiers friends better consider what you have to do than i that have not well the gift of tongue can lift your blood up with persuasion enter a messenger my lord here are letters for you i cannot read them now o gentlemen the time of life is short to spend that shortness basely were too long if life did ride upon a dial's point still ending at the arrival of an hour and if we live we live to tread on kings if die brave death when princes die with us now for our consciences the arms are fair when the intent of bearing them is just enter another messenger my lord prepare the king comes on apace i thank him that he cuts me from my tale for i profess not talking only this let each man do his best and here draw i a sword whose temper i intend to stain with the best blood that i can meet withal in the adventure of this perilous day now esperance percy and set on sound all the lofty instruments of war and by that music let us all embrace for heaven to earth some of us shall never a second time do such a courtesy the trumpets sound they embrace and exeunt scene three plain between the camps king henry enters with his power alarum to the battle then enter douglas and sir walter blunt what is thy name that in the battle thus thou crossest me what honour dost thou seek upon my head know then my name is douglas and i do haunt thee in the battle thus because some tell me that thou art a king they tell thee true the lord of stafford dear to-day hath bought thy likeness for instead of thee king harry this sword hath ended him so shall it thee unless thou yield thee as my prisoner i was not born a yielder thou proud scot and thou shalt find a king that will revenge lord stafford's death they fight Douglas kills Sir Walter Blunt. Enter Hotspur. O Douglas, hadst thou fought at Holmden thus, never had triumphed upon a Scot. All's done, all's won. Here breathless lies the king. Where? Here. This, Douglas? No. I know this face full well. A gallant knight he was. His name was Blunt. Semblably furnished like the king himself. A fool go with thy soul, whither it goes. A borrowed title hath thou bought too dear. Why didst thou tell me thou wert a king? The king hath many marching in his coats. Now by my sword I will kill all his coats. I'll murder all his wardrobe, piece by piece, until I meet the king. Up and away. Our soldiers stand full fairly for the day. 
Exunt. Alarum. Enter Falstaff, Solus. Though I could scape shot free at London, I fear the shot here. Here's no scoring but upon the pate. Soft, who are you? Sir Walter Blunt, there's honour for you. Here's no vanity. I am as hot as molten lead, and as heavy, too. Oh, God, keep lead out of me. I need no more weight than mine own bowels. I have led my ragamuffins where they are peppered. There's not three of my hundred and fifty left alive, and they are for the town's end, to beg during life. But who comes here? Enter Prince Henry. What? Standest thou idle here? Lend me thy sword. Many a nobleman lies stark and stiff under the hoofs of vaunting enemies, whose deaths are yet unrevenged. I prithee, lend me thy sword. Oh, Hal, I prithee, give me leave to breathe a while. Turk Gregory never did such deeds in arms as I have done this day. I have paid Percy. I have made him sure. He is indeed, and living to kill thee. I prithee, lend me thy sword. Nay, before God, Hal, if Percy be alive, thou gettest not my sword. But take my pistol, if thou wilt. Give it me. What, is it in the case? Eh, Hal, tis hot, tis hot. There's that will sack a city. Prince Henry draws it out and finds it to be a bottle of sack. What? Is it a time to jest and dally now? He throws the bottle at him. Exit. Well, if Percy be alive, I'll pierce him. If he do come in my way, so. If he do not, if I come in his willingly, let him make a carbonado of me. I like not such grinning honour as Sir Walter hath. Give me life, which I can save so. If not, honour comes unlooked for, and there's an end. Exit Falstaff. Scene four. Another part of the field. Alarum. Excursions. Enter Prince Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, and Earl of Westmoreland. I prithee, Harry, withdraw thyself. Thou bleedest too much. Lord John of Lancaster, go you with him. Not I, my lord, unless I did bleed too. I do beseech your majesty, make up, lest your retirement do amaze your friends. I will do so. My lord of Westmoreland, lead him to his tent. Come, my lord, I'll lead you to your tent. Lead me, my lord? I do not need your help, and God forbid a shallow scratch should drive the Prince of Wales from such a field as this, where stained nobility lies trodden on, and rebels' arms triumph in massacres. We breathe too long. Come, cousin Westmoreland, our duty this way lies. For God's sake, come. Exunt Lancaster and Westmoreland. By God, thou hast deceived me, Lancaster. I did not think thee lord of such a spirit. Before I loved thee as a brother, John. But now I do respect thee as my soul. I saw him hold Lord Percy to the point with lustier maintenance than I did look for of such an ungrown warrior. Oh, this boy lends metal to us all. Exit. 
Enter Douglas. Another king. They grow like Hydra's heads. I am the Douglas, fatal to all those who wear those colors on them. What art thou that counterfeitest the person of a king? The king himself, who, Douglas, grieves at heart so many of his shadows thou hast met, and not the very king. I have two boys seek Percy and thyself about the field. But, seeing that thou fallest on me so luckily, I will assay thee. So, defend thyself. I fear thou art another counterfeit, and yet in faith thou bearest thee like a king. But mine I am sure thou art, whoever thou be, and thus I win thee. They fight. King Henry being in danger, Prince Henry enters. Hold up thy head, vile Scot, or thou art like never to hold up again. The spirits of valiant Shirley, Stafford, Blunt are in my arms. It is the Prince of Wales that threatens thee, who never promiseth but he means to pay. They fight. Douglas flies. Cheerily, my lord. How fares your grace? Sir Nicholas Gazi hath for succor sent, and so hath Clifton. I'll go to Clifton straight. Stay, and breathe a while. Thou hast redeemed thy lost opinion, and showed thou makest some tender of my life in this fair rescue thou hast brought to me. Oh, God! They did me too much injury, that ever said I hearkened for your death. If it were so, I might have let alone the insulting hand of Douglas over you, which would have been as speedy in your end as all the poisonous potions in the world and save the treacherous labor of your son. Make up to Clifton. I'll to Sir Nicholas Gauzy. Exit. Enter Hotspur. If I mistake not, thou art Harry Monmouth. Thou speakest as if I would deny my name. My name is Harry Percy. Why, then I see a very valiant rebel of the name. I am the Prince of Wales, and think not, Percy to share with me in glory any more. Two stars keep not their motion in one sphere, nor can one England brook a double reign of Harry Percy and the Prince of Wales. Nor shall it, Harry, for the hour is come to end the one of us, and would to God thy name in arms were now as great as mine. I'll make it greater ere I part from thee, and all the budding honors on thy crest I'll crop to make a garland for my head. I can no longer brook thy vanities. They fight. Enter Falstaff. Well said, Hal. To it, Hal. Nay, you shall find no boys play here, I can tell you. Re-enter Douglas. He fights with Falstaff, who falls down as if he were dead, and exit Douglas. Hotspur is wounded and falls. O oh, Harry, thou hast robbed me of my youth. I better brook the loss of brittle life than those proud titles thou hast won of me. They wound my thoughts worse than sword my flesh. But thoughts the slave of life, and lifetime's fool, and time that takes survey of all the world must have a stop. Oh, I could prophesy, but that the earthy and cold hand of death lies on my tongue. No, Percy, thou art dust, and food for— Dies. 
for worms, brave Percy. Fare thee well, great heart, ill-weaved ambition. How much art thou shrunk, when that this body did contain a spirit, a kingdom for it, was too small a bound. But now, two paces of the vilest earth is room enough. This earth that bears thee dead, there's not alive so stout a gentleman. If thou wert sensible out of courtesy, I should not make so dear a show of zeal. But let my favors hide thy mangled face, and even in thy behalf, I'll thank myself for doing these fair rites of tenderness. Adieu, and take thy praise with thee to heaven. Thy ignominy sleep with thee in thy grave, but not remember it in thy epitaph. He spieth Falstaff on the ground. What? Old acquaintance? Could not all this flesh keep in a little life? Poor Jack, farewell. I could have better spared a better man. Oh, I should have a heavy miss of thee if I were much in love with vanity. Death hath not struck so fat a deer today, though many dearer, <laughs> in this bloody fray. Embowled will I see thee by and by, till then in blood thy noble Percy lie. Exit Prince Henry. Embowled? If thou embowel me to-day, I'll give you leave to powder me and eat me too to-morrow. Splud, twas time to counterfeit, or that hot term against Scott had paid me Scott and lot too. Counterfeit? I lie. I am no counterfeit. To die is to be a counterfeit, for he is but the counterfeit of a man who hath not the life of a man. But to counterfeit dying, when a man thereby liveth, is to be no counterfeit, but the true and perfect image of life indeed. The better part of valour is discretion, in the which better part I have saved my life. Zounds, I am afraid of this gunpowder Percy, though he be dead." now if he should counterfeit too and rise by my faith i am afraid he would prove the better counterfeit therefore i'll make him sure yea and i'll swear i killed him why may not he rise as well as i nothing confutes me but eyes and nobody sees me therefore sirrah stabbing him with a new wound in your thigh Come you along with me. Takes up Hotspur on his back. Re-enter Prince Henry and Lord John of Lancaster. Come, brother John. Full bravely hast thou fleshed thy maiden sword. But soft, whom have we here? Did you not tell me that this fat man was dead? I did. I saw him dead, breathless and bleeding on the ground. Art thou alive? Or is it fantasy that pleads upon our eyesight? I pray thee speak. We will not trust our eyes without our ears. Thou art not what thou seemst. No, that's certain. I am not a double man. But if I be not Jack Falstaff, then am I a Jack. There is Percy. Throwing the body down. If your father will do me any honor, so. If not, 
let him kill the next Percy himself. I look to be either Earl or Duke, I can assure you. Why, Percy, I killed myself and saw thee dead. <laughs> Didst thou? Lord, Lord, how this world is given to lying. I, I grant you I was down and out of breath, and so was he, but we rose both at an instant and, and fought a long hour by Shrewsbury clock. If I may be believed, so, if not, let them that should reward valour bear the sin upon their own heads. I'll take it upon my death. I gave him this wound in the thigh. If the man were alive and would deny it, Sounds I would make him eat a piece of my sword. This is the strangest tale that ever I heard. <laughs> this is the strangest fellow, Brother John. Come, bring your luggage nobly on your back. For my part, if a lie may do thee grace, I'll gild it with the happiest terms I have. A retreat is sounded. The trumpet sounds retreat. The day is ours. Come, brother. Let's to the highest of the field, and see what friends are living, and who are dead. Exeunt Prince Henry and Lancaster. I'll follow, as they say, for reward. He that rewards me, God reward him. If I do grow great, I'll grow less, for I'll purge, and leave sack, and live cleanly as a nobleman should do. Exit. Scene five. Another part of the field. The trumpets sound. Enter King Henry the Fourth, Prince Henry, Lord John Lancaster, Earl of Westmoreland, with Worcester and Vernon prisoners. Thus ever did rebellion find rebuke, ill-spirited Worcester. Did not we send grace, pardon, and terms of love to all of you? And wouldst thou turn our offers contrary? Misuse the tenor of thy kinsman's trust? Three knights upon our party slain to-day, a noble earl and many a creature else had been alive this hour, if, like a Christian, thou hadst truly borne betwixt our armies true intelligence. What I have done, my safety urged me to, and I embrace this fortune patiently, since not to be avoided it falls on me. Bear Worcester to the death, and Vernon too. Other offenders we will pause upon. Exeunt Worcester and Vernon, guarded. How goes the field? The noble Scot, Lord Douglas, when he saw the fortune of the day quite turned from him, the noble Percy slain and all his men upon the foot of fear, fled with the rest. And falling from a hill, he was so bruised that the pursuers took him. At my tent, the Douglas is. And I beseech your grace I may dispose of him. With all my heart. Then, brother John of Lancaster, to you this honourable bounty shall belong. Go to the Douglas, and deliver him up to his pleasure ransomless and free. His valour shone upon our crests to-day, hath taught us how to cherish such high deeds, even in the bosom of our adversaries. I thank your grace for this high courtesy, which I shall give away immediately. Then this remains, that we divide our power. You, son John, and my cousin Westmoreland, towards York shall bend you with your dearest speed, to meet Northumberland and the prelate Scroop, 
who as we hear are busily in arms. Myself and you, son Harry, will towards Wales, to fight with Glendower and the Earl of March. Rebellion in this land shall lose his sway, meeting the check of such another day. And since this business so fair is done, let us not leave till all our own be won. Exeunt. End of Act Five. End of Henry the Fourth, Part One, by William Shakespeare.